Um, hi. Hey. Um, well, first of all, I want to just acknowledge that I <laughs> hid my video because I, I kept getting distracted. We don't actually record video. It's just so that we can see each other. No, I know, but I was getting distracted by myself. Sure. Um, you know that mix of like narcissism and self-confidence? I'm so sorry. <laughs> this has been such a long time coming to have you on this pod. Um, hi, welcome to Non-Working Title, the working title of the podcast about not working. Um, my name is Ethan. I have with me today the illustrious, the inimitable... The exceptional, the kind, Father Will. I was about to say, oh, is there a third person that you invited? <laughs> yes, right behind me is <laughs> <laughs> And then we also have this guy. <laughs> um, I just want to say before we jump in that this is um, work that is very much inspired by lots and lots of interlocutors including Jenny O'Dell and her book, How to Do Nothing, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel and his book, The Sabbath, Willie James Jennings in After Whiteness, and Trisha Hersey's book. Um, no, not her book. She actually has a book coming out, but her work in the Nat Ministry. She actually has a book coming out like mm-hmm. next month. Mm-hmm. So go buy it. Also, Jenny O'Dell has another book coming out. It's coming, yeah. Go buy Have that. a reveal. Um, but this is a conversation very much inspired by these people, um, situated in our local context as a way to root these ideas in our community. So please support them. Um, and if we know you in real life, hi. Um, I wonder if we can introduce ourselves briefly, you and I. Probably. My name is Ethan. Um, I'm an Episcopal priest working with college students and with young adults. But that's the least interesting part about me. The more interesting part about me is that my work with college students and young adults lately, somehow we've gotten a bee in our bonnet and we are really just having like our season of arts and crafts that the dining room table at our little ministry house is like nonstop covered in like Michael's receipts Mm -hmm. and glitter and sequins and like balsa wood (laughs) and pipe cleaners and cheap beads. And probably for like 30 hours a week, you can find somebody at the house doing a craft And I don't really know what it is because also the crafts that I'm making are not very good, but we have this fun new fixation and I'm kind of, I'm kind of living for it. It's very like everything I needed to know about being a human. I learned in like third grade art class, Mm -hmm. you know, and one of the gifts of being I don't know, like a human is that our God looks at the crafts that we make and loves them as much as Michelangelo, you know? Yeah. That's really good. But it's not what the world thinks. Is that because God thinks that all of our art is good or because God thinks that all of our art is bad equally? 
I think that God loves all of our art. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I do. God doesn't think that, like, all of your art should hang in the Getty, but, like, maybe that thing that you painted that said, you brood of vipers, maybe that belongs there. Oh, my God. We read that passage last night in Bible study, and for a second, I was like, I had that feeling of, like, oh, a meme in the wild. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Should I, I guess I should introduce myself. Um, my name is Will. Um, I um, am a center of God's own redeeming. Just to put that out there. Um, you know, you have those people who are like, I'm a child of God. That's my first and foremost identity, but it's only an identity that they like identify with in in public and not like they don't go around talking to all of their friends and like, Oh, we're just all children of God for me. No, no sinner redeemed Christian all the time. (laughs) It's actually exactly the energy that I hoped and expected you would bring. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My name is Will. um, I'm depraved, (laughs) but only because we all are. Amen. Um, I am also, um, I'm queer, I am an artist and musician, um, and the work that I do um, both to serve my people and the church, and also the work that I do in order for me to eat and rest in a comfortable apartment um, is serving as an Episcopal priest um, in parish ministry here in Fredericksburg. Hmm. With all of your wonderful colleagues. With all of my wonderful colleagues. And also Father Ethan. <laughs> um, Father Will, how how rested are you today? What a generous question. Um I I feel I feel pretty rested. Um I think rest for me is in part connected to like the amount of sleep that I have gotten the night before, um, but also whether I'm feeling fulfilled in my work um, and the last couple of days have been really good. And so has this morning. So yeah, I feel, I feel steady. How rested are you? I'm feeling pretty good today. Um, the sun finally came back out. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it like. Hurricane Ian came through and just put this like malaise over the mid Atlantic. Mm -hmm. And it was like cloudy and rainy. And it was, it went from being like 90, like three weeks ago to being 50 this week. And it just like really put a damper on my mood, but it put a damper on my mood in the way that was like, I need to go to bed. Mm. Like middle of the day, I was like, I need to go home and go to bed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't realize that I was, I didn't, I mean, you should know this thing about yourself at the, at the ripe old age of 31, but I just, I guess I didn't realize that I'm like solar powered. And so. Please keep talking. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Um, so I'm feeling much better today, but I'm also a little bit like, um, 
I am um, thinking about winter and what that's going to bring. Mm. Mm. So I've got some outdoor time planned today. Good. Good. I find that my response to like overcast skies for more than a couple of days um, is just like straight irritability. Mm-hmm. Like I just become a measurably meaner person when I don't get some time in the sun. And I love that because that's such an interesting version of like Mercury's in retrograde. Like, <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's cloudy. <laughs> I'm so sorry that I'm being horrible right now. It's cloudy. <laughs> um, well, we have um, had some interesting conversations over the last six months um, in ways that are funny because our work is very differently shaped, but it has been rhyming a lot recently. Mm. Um, And it seems that our shared imagination has found itself looking towards like how to gather groups of people together simply Mm. for the work of being together, simply for the work of being together. And I know that that is slightly different audiences. Um, I know where that has come from for me, but I'm really curious where this intention towards getting people together for no reason other than to be together, to enjoy one another, came from for you. Mm. Yeah, gosh. Um, I mean, I don't think that it's developed... um, straightforwardly or naturally like there's not a there's not a neat story about it and um i think and and it's really inextricably linked with my priesthood um which is that at the at the core of all things like what we're doing on a sunday morning is just being humans in the same room together and learning a vocabulary to describe what that's like um you know, gathering to name all of like the gifts and curses of um, having a body of having a brain um, that may or may not cooperate day to day. Um, And doing that in a way that like both centers and decenters us. Um, Like the, the number one piece of advice maybe it's advice, maybe it's not, I don't know. The number one thing that I, that I tell parishioners um, in meetings with them is, you know, I think one of the core messages of scripture is that we are so much less important than we think we are. Um, Or, you know, in, in, in the dialogue of the day, like we're not the main character. Um, And that is both really devastating um, in some ways, like that decentering of ourselves, um, it makes us feel less important. It makes us feel not like a central part of the community. Um, but it's also so liberating, right? Like you could not do your work. You could have to spend all of your day tomorrow in bed and the world would keep turning. Mm. Right, like there are very few people in the world who are like essential um, in the context of their like production or their work. Um, but 
everyone at church gets to be essential to the community. So I like the kind of work that we're doing in the parish um, is, is creating that kind of um, like joyful burden for one another. Um, so that's all like a very conceptual way of answering your question. Um, I'm, I'm serving right now in a, in a parish that was founded 300 years ago um, in 1720. Woot, woot. Um, <laughs> and has like, has gone through all kinds of weird permutations since then, but like has a history, has a series of spoken and unspoken traditions of being together, has expectations of what being a part of that community should look like um, that are in contention. Um, so I'm not planting a new thing in the way that I think sometimes your ministry is. Um, but you have helped me to discover that the shape of our, of our goal, I think, um, like, you know, you've got that kid's toy with all the different shaped holes and like, you can put the square peg through the square hole, but you can also put the circle peg through the square hole. They both fit. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Our kids. <laughs> uh, so I think that's like that's that's the the core of it. But there's also um, you know there are a couple of stories that I think have brought me along the way as well. I um I think that this project is of we are all trying to figure out how to be humans together. Mm -hmm. It's such an interesting way to frame up the work of the church because we so often say like the work of the church, mm -hmm. but what is the work of being human? Oh my gosh, am I supposed to answer that? No, I'm just posing it. I'm just naming it out loud because <laughs> some of what some of what we talk about a lot um, on this podcast is like how do we think and talk about work? Yeah. Right? Like a lot of a lot of industries, a lot of organizations have a very specific um, mission of productivity. And it feels some funny sometimes to think about the work of the church mm -hmm. because our work is this kind of abstract, like ethic of community. Like we are all coming together to figure out how to be people and how to be people together and how to be people before our God and people who are made by God. So what is that work? Right? Like we're not, dropping fries in the fryer. We're not making springs. We're not selling cars. Like, what does that work? Yeah. And I think like, you know, there's a, there's a well-established dialogue around, um, you know, the sort of like professional class of the church, right? Like as priests, it's easy for us to like make a little list of all of the things that we're supposed to do, right? Like we're supposed to preach. We're supposed to comfort the faithful. We're supposed to lead worship. We might conduct baptisms or weddings or funerals. Um, we might meet with people to talk about um, some difficult 
patterns or situations that are happening in their lives. We might visit the hospital where folks are unwell. Um, and um, we can do all of those things and also be totally disconnected at the same time from the work that we are asking our people to do in the pews on a Sunday or with one another as they gather. Um, there's a discussion for a separate podcast um, is the development of over-professionalization um, <laughs> in some churches. The, um, the organizationification of the church. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think that speaks to like the acknowledgement that there is really important work being done in the church, like widely by everyone as they're gathered, but somehow thinking that like in other areas of our life, like in financial planning or in insurance or in medicine, that it's work that we can ask someone else to do for us. Hmm. And unfortunately we can't actually ask anyone to do the work of figuring out how to be a human in the world on our behalf. We can ask people to help us with that, which is, I think at my best, what I'm helping people to do. But everyone, I mean, not, not to fall headfirst into journey language, but everyone truly is um, on their own journey of figuring out what it looks like to, to be, a body with a brain that may or may not work together. I feel like I've gotten far afield. There's no field. Mm. <laughs> There's no field. Well, I just, I mean, a lot of what I have thought about and heard about in the life of the church is that in like other industries, right. And in other in other parts of people's lives, like their selfhood gets to be reduced to their role in their organization mm -hmm. or to the function mm -hmm. that they perform or to the identity that is projected onto them. And I think for a lot of people, church at its best is a place where their full and complex selfhood gets to be seen and acknowledged mm -hmm. in a way that it maybe doesn't in the boardroom or in the classroom or on Slack or wherever. Yeah. And I think like we've talked about before, there's a kind of rest to that, right? Like think about having to lean so far outside of yourself to fit this projection or function that you're playing and to leave mm -hmm. part of yourself at the door. Like that is, that is a labor Right, like that is exhausting. That is depleting in a way. And I think church at its best, like if people get to be their fullest selves, there's rest in that. Right, I think that's there's, really well put. There's like centering in that. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And I think, um, like, part of of my work, um, especially you know, in a church that. Um, is full of people who are comfortable in boardrooms, who have acclimatized themselves to leaving parts of them themselves outside the room um, 
for whom that is normal. Um, part of my work is, is permission giving. Um, because of course, if that's a behavior that you have learned in other parts of your life, that is a behavior that you will bring with you into the church. And so I think one of the, one of the interesting aspects of, of what church life has looked like in America for the last like 50 years or so, um, is moving from a model, um, where like church was basically just another organization or corporation in people's lives where like there were boards, there were committees, there was work to do. And we gathered because there was work to do, you know, like we might have fellowship groups that meet together, but really the end goal is like the big event, the church bazaar that they put on every year um, or like the big service project. Um, or if we gathered on like a Tuesday morning um, with scripture, well, we were there for Bible study. Um, or, um, you know, the governing boards of churches um, gathered to do business. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so people's way of relating to one another um, was formed and shaped and bounded um, by the way that they knew how to be together in other areas of their lives. Mm-hmm. And I think at our best, um, what I hear you saying and what I think I, I try and do in my own work um, is give people another option. Um, is, you know, to do the work that I see Jesus doing in the gospels of um, flummoxing people um, he is, he is not a judge in their midst. Um, he is not a taskmaster. Half the time, he's just asking people to rest and eat something with him. Um, and then in the course of their rest and their sharing a meal, they discover something about themselves, discover something about him um, that they didn't know before. Like that's the shape of the work is actually pausing long enough that the intrusive thoughts like come out and sit on the table for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think this idea that like, you know, that, that the church occasions are gathering for a shared project, like, like you said, even can permeate Bible study, right? Like mm-hmm. you can get together with, with a dozen people in a room for an hour and a half talking about the Bible and never see one another reflected (laughs) in the scripture. And I think that's one of my sort of like, that's one of my drums to beat is like, what are we studying when we're studying scripture? Like the Bible is not like a flat opaque surface. Like scripture is also orienting us back towards each other like when we go to worship, worship is also orienting us back towards each other. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. we don't, scripture is not the end point. It is a point of reference back to one another and to God. So imagine like going to communion and thinking that communion is this sort of like beautiful symbol, artifact experience fully contained unto itself and not also representative of our relationships with everyone else in the room. Yeah. Like representative of this like community ethic that we're aspiring towards. 
like if it's just my own experience at the sacrament and not this recognition of all of us here together and what it represents, then what are we doing? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, recognizing that um, not all of your listeners are formed in the Christian tradition from an early age, but um, you know, for me, I, one of my first um, experiences of ministry was working at a, a small Episcopal parish just north of Charlottesville, um, very much on the border between like the the comfortable suburbs um, and the mountain hollers. And it was such an interesting collection of people that would show up um, both on Sunday mornings, but also um, for, for Bible studies. And there was a, a lovely, beautiful 10 a.m. Thursday morning Bible study um, that I spent a lot of time with. And the unspoken goal of that Bible study was to get through as many chapters as possible that day (laughs) was to just see how much we could read. Um, And while I was there, we, for, I guess, 10 months, um, we got through the entire first five books of the Bible, which is absurd. (laughs) You're like, let's just do Genesis one through eight. Like, (laughs) easy goal for today easy goal for today (laughs) and i don't think that like i don't think at that point i i really knew how to name what was happening um there was there was relating that was happening in the group but it was relating that was like accidental um and sort of incident you know incidental yeah mm, words but um i think the other the other experience that has really formed my my understanding and views about this um, came while I was during semin- in seminary, um, and I was invited to be a part of. I mean, invited is a is a very um, illustrious word for what happened. Um, I was willing to. Um, I said yes um, to join a cohort of of ten seminarians from five different seminaries, um, and. Half of those were from the Episcopal Church, which I'm a part of and I'm ordained in, um, and half were from the Anglican Church in North America, which, um, to make a very long and complicated story very short, um, separated from the Episcopal Church in the early 2000s over differences of um, understanding of scripture and particularly um, typified in in different understandings of, of human sexuality. Um, and as a queer person, that's a conversation that is important and germane to me. But I thought, yeah, this sounds interesting. Um, and I had had a lot of conversations in, in undergrad before going to seminary with, um, with some friends who came down on a, you know, in a different belief um, or pattern of thinking than I did um, and always found those to be really enriching um, when we got to the point that we were able to actually see one another and not talk about the thing at hand, not use that as a vocabulary, but actually talk human to human. Anyway, so it's work that I that I loved um, and found hard and challenging. Um, and so we met twice a year, um, every year in seminary for two or three or four days at a time. Um, 
And again, making a long story very short, the turning point for that group when we stopped being a working group trying to solve a problem and started to be a group of people with genuine affection and curiosity and love for one another was when we realized that our practices actually had to reflect that. Um, that we weren't actually going to learn who one another was by sitting down and reading articles and talking about them, or even by worshiping together, or even by reading scripture together. Those would all help and might unearth something over time, but the work was relational. Um, and suddenly, um, when I learned the pain that one of my brothers went through, was a member of the ACNA, um, when his church split in half um, and he found himself on the opposite side from his friends and neighbors and um, hearing, hearing that story um, helped me to feel so much more belonging in that group um, because it was being shared with me and I was thought of as worthy um, or safe to hear that story. And so our practices became less and less um, about a kind of statement of a problem and how do we just the, the conceptual exploring of how we live together as humans and more about storytelling um, and who we were actually being day to day as humans. Mm -hmm. And, you know, by the end of the three years, um, I don't think a single one of us had changed our views. Um, I don't think a single one of us had changed our conceptual understanding of the task at hand or the problem that separated us. But every one of us felt as if we were, we were members of a real family. And there's, there's a way in which we avoid that in the church because it's actually harder work to do. Um, the work of trying to get people to just agree on any given issue um, turns out to be a lot easier because if someone disagrees at the end of the process, you can just kick them out. You can just say, you're not worth my time. Um, and the work of the church at its best is to say, well, regrettably, I don't actually have the authority to kick you out. We actually have to live together. Um, and that is much harder work. But it's also more important. It's also about teaching us to be humans in our own skin and with one another. So that really, that really informs my understanding of, of what we're trying to do in a church. Um, and that's, you know, we use a Christian vocabulary. We use the vocabulary of our worship. We use the vocabulary of our sacraments and rituals and scripture to point us toward that work of being together. Mm -hmm. 
You know, something that you had mentioned earlier about how we can simultaneously be like the most important person and the least important person. It kind of like that those two can exist in the same moment and both be true kind of boggles the mind as it were a little bit. And I feel like that is part of the ethic of like the gospel Mm. that we're trying to figure out how to cultivate in ourselves and in our communities that at the same time, like I am unique and made in God's image and good and I am no better than anyone else. And everyone else is just as unique and good and made in God's image as me. Mm-hmm. And those things have to exist at the same time in the hearts and minds of everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that is such a difficult, nuanced line not just to walk, but to find. Yeah. To figure out how to instill, <laughs> like to figure out how to to figure out how to share or even name to people. Oh, it's so hard, right? And I like the we're surrounded with these two arguing vocabularies on on either side of that equation, right? On the one hand, we're told like work harder, you know, deserve your place, work to earn it. Um, You know, all of this is available for you. If you just set your nose to the grindstone and commit to it, look at all of these successful people who just worked hard. Um, The sort of like um, college dropout story that we tell um, or like Steve jobs decided that like college wasn't for him. um, And he just went and built something and, you know, you can do that too. Um, and then on the other hand, there's this, what I hear is like a newer vocabulary of saying, um, you are actually worth taking time away. Like you are the, you are worth rest and like, you need to advocate for yourself. Um, and that's, you know, in terms of like pay equity and that conversation that we're having. Um, but also like, what are reasonable expectations um, for us to give and and do in the workplace? Um, how much is reasonable to ask of of a human? Um, and like neither of those actually works, right? I was having a conversation with with another priest um, just a couple of days ago, where she's sort of like you know she's doing a lot of extra work and isn't being fairly compensated for it, right? Sort of has a couple more jobs that have been added to her description. Um, and like the compensation hasn't changed. Um, and there are some voices in, in our world that would say, well, you need to like march into your boss's office and say, this is unacceptable. Like I will not work under these conditions. Um, you are taking advantage of me. And 
that works if you can use the leverage of quitting. Like it works if you can just walk out the door and that's a threat. Um, and in our in our vocation as priests um, and in many other vocations, there are real consequences to threatening that. I mean, sure, you could walk out the door and then you would leave your people on the lurch, right? You, there would be no one to answer the pastoral phone. There would be no one to go visit the hospital. Um, like there would be consequences to this. And I think um, on the other hand, right, like choosing to just accept the model of work that we're given where we just give and give and give of ourselves and just sort of accept it as it comes um, is equally unsustainable, right? Um, leads to burnout, um, leads to being like not as good um, at our work in the first place. And so charting that kind of inconvenient middle, um, I think is, is a lot of the work of being together in the church. Um, you know, we can neither abandon the people next to us nor accept um, their failings and falterings as inevitable. Well, I mean, it also just makes me think of like, you know, in our current political environment and our current cultural environment and our current economic setup, there's like an acceptable number of people who can be exploited there mm-hmm. is an acceptable number of people that can be dehumanized. There is an acceptable mm-hmm. number of people that can be unhappy with the outcome. And what what a twisted logic to try to live with. Right? Well, in the corollary in the church, right? Like so many churches, so many churches, all are welcome. All are welcome. And there's always a caveat. There's always an acceptable number or um, particular kind of person who doesn't quite fit the bill and they're not welcome or, you know, after a couple of weeks, they'll find their way out, right? We don't even have to have that conversation. And we, we sort of chart that as an acceptable loss. Mm-hmm. You say that, oh, they're probably getting community or formation elsewhere. <laughs> They're probably being cared for elsewhere. Like God has a different plan for them. Yeah. Because it inconveniences us. Yeah. Well, I think it's just, <clears throat> you know, that work of everybody being welcome actually requires like an incredibly heavy lift on the part of instilling a new community ethic of what it looks yeah. like for people who are on different sides of an issue to be able to be safe in the same space. Right. Like I think sometimes Mm -hmm. we say all are welcome and it just means like anybody come in, woo anarchy, like no holds barred. Everybody can do whatever they want. And it doesn't mean um, people who would otherwise find themselves unsafe in this space have had safety insured for their entry here Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. there are, terms and rules for how we engage in disagreement in this space and where it is encouraged and where it is off limits, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's actually really hard work to be in community and especially in like big diverse community. And like, what if we decided that that was the work of the church? 
and not like incidental to the work of the church. Yeah. Yeah. But core. Yeah. That would be great. Wouldn't it? It would be something. Tragically, that sounds like work and I'm tired. It would make a really different kind of life (laughs) Mm -hmm. for the church. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, I, we, we hear, this is so much a part of my context. Um, I hear a lot of binary thinking about this, that like either church is about the work of being together and growing with one another, or church is this outward focused engine for care for the world. Mm-hmm. Um, like we have to choose one of those two, which really misses um, the complementary aspects of those two, right? Like you need spaces where the only work is to sit in a room with other people. You need that space Mm -hmm. um, because it's only in those spaces where we actually get into the nitty gritty of like what's happening in our lives and and where we need care. Um, It's only in those spaces where we can unearth the parts of ourselves that are in desperate need of attention and care. And um, that is exhausting work to be doing all of the time. And so you need these other spaces that are outward focused, that are about shared work um, in the community, that are about service. Um, But we always have to resist the notion that we either choose one or the other or that they're disconnected. Mm. Yeah. Um, in this like really busy life that we all live and lead. What? You're busy? Well, I'm not, but other people, sure. I hear that other people are. You, you have become enlightened. So that <laughs> you can find me sitting on the roof of the house with my legs crossed and you can come and approach yeah. me and ask one question to which I will not respond. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, how is it that we, I mean, even this language is so like, bleh, but how do we like make the case to people that it is worthwhile just to decide to be together? Mm. I, I just think like so often church attendance and participation falls into the calculus of productivity of like, mm-hmm. what is the best way for me to spend my time? Mm-hmm. And is that grocery shopping or staying in bed or going to church? And that calculus always falls back to like, what's going to help set me up for the most productive week or help me recover from last week? Like, how do we make the case for something that that isn't easily reflected? Yeah, that's sort of outside of the the spectrum of being filled up or being empty. Yeah. I mean, so I think a lot of it is, is simply storytelling, right? Like you find the people who have been in the church for a long time. um, And you start to ask them like, why, why are you here? You know, what keeps you coming back? And some of those people are going to fall into that category of like, well, I'm here, I'm here because I should be, I'm here because it, it, you know, church is what you do 
on Sunday morning, or I'm here because, you know, it makes me feel good. And then I go out into my world and, you know, sort of promptly set aside everything that I've heard. Um, and every once in a while, you're going to find a person who has had a really remarkable and transformative experience. Right. Like we were, um, you and I just the other day were working with, um, a group of leaders that were forming to, to do exactly this kind of work to lead small groups. And we had this occasion to hear, um, or I mean, we really invited, um, stories of how they ended up at church. Um, and to a person, it wasn't, well, I made like a calculated choice, um, to decide um, to come on Sunday morning because I knew that it would have X benefit for me Hmm. to a person. There were stories about like challenge and grief and transformation. You know, I needed a place to belong. I needed a place where it was acceptable to cry in public. I needed a place where I could just be And those are the stories that we tell other people, right? Like we sort of keep that chain going Um, and it's not going to work for everyone. You know, it's not going to connect for everyone. Not everyone is interested in doing this work. And I think at its best, as we keep saying, like church is one of the few spaces in this attention economy where you get to walk in and I'm not going to ask you to do anything. I'm not going to ask you to be anything. You just got to sit there, you know, and resisting the temptation to preach here. I think that's what grace is all about. Um, that like the weird, weird aspect um, of Christianity is that there isn't a program. Like there's no assumption that at some point the output is going to like be this beautiful, remarkable human being who is monk-like in their devotion um, and Mother Teresa-like in their service and care for others. No, the assumption is that you're going to be exactly the same person 20 years from now um, in terms of the best and worst parts of yourself. But in the meantime, like you get to be that person in a community who says, you know, what if we walked together? You know, what if what if we were creating a community where you actually walked in and felt like you belonged and felt like despite all of those challenges that are a part of your humanity and your personhood, that we were actually glad that you're here and miss you when you're not. That's the work. Yeah. And like, you know, after 20 years, if you still have all of your flaws what if you are just a little bit more believing that you are worthy of belonging? Yeah. Like what if you're a little bit braver in encountering other people? What if you're a little bit less afraid of other people? What if you suddenly find yourself reflecting to other people who experienced what you experienced 20 years ago that actually know they, they too are worthy mm-hmm. of being seen and of belonging like, is that not enlightenment <laughs> like, mm-hmm. to go from not thinking that you are worthy of belonging to maybe believing it with the help of your new friends? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what else are we doing? Right. Yeah. Don't at me about salvation. 
I had no plans to. Oh, I was speaking to your audience. I bet that they had no plans to either. <laughs> no, but it makes me feel important if I feel like there are consequences to my speech. Yeah. This is so funny. What weird work we do. I remember you you said that to me very early on in our time working together. Um, probably like in the middle of a worship service. Um, I think like at when we were doing like the weird alchemical ritual of preparing the table for communion, pouring wine, pouring water, whatever. Um, and you just sort of turned to me and said, this is what a weird job. Um, and I think, I think for some folks like from the outside looking in, like it's the, it's the weird robes and fancy vestments and like ability to handle a flaming ball of incense. That's the weirdness. Um, but I think for me, like the, the core of what makes it strange is, um, like there's a community of people who pay for me to live in an apartment so that I can go to coffee with them. Who like somewhere deep in their psyches understand that that is a real need, not just for themselves, but for this ragtag group of people who have decided to commit to one another. Yeah. Weird. Weird. It's something I actually say like every single day. Like whenever I first said that to you, I started saying it every day thereafter. What a weird job Mm -hmm. to have. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean that just like what a weird job that priests have, but what a weird job that like all disciples have, which is that we're trying to build this community together. Like the work of being a Christian is so weird. And we have a particularly weird role to play in it, which is to like put people in a room together and say, what would it be like if you were friends? <laughs> Even if you don't know each other yet. Yeah. And then it, 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 for me, it feels like imagining I'm like Tom Cruise getting up on Oprah's couch being like, what if you were friends with each other? What would that be like? <laughs> Could you be brave enough to do that? Um, but what interesting results it would yield and does per <laughs> I'm so sorry um, I, I support your you don't have to I support you <laughs> you're like I do not condone your behaviors but I do this is actually what living together in community is like. But your personhood is a reflection of God, and I can name mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, wow. Father Will, do you have any final words for us? It's so funny, right? Like I, um, so I, one of my jobs week to week um, is going out and being pastorally present to our market food pantry. Um, which meets just outside my door um, in the local town square. And 
Um, there are a number of people who don't find themselves to church on Sunday morning, um, but who so just reliably every week will come and help distribute that produce. And oftentimes, um, one in particular will say, do you have any wisdom for me this week? And I sort of think to myself in my frustration, I'm like, you know, actually I have done a lot of work so that I have precisely 15 minutes of wisdom every week for you, (laughs) but it's fine. Don't worry about it. Um, Right. And read those words of wisdom on my blog. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the thing that I always say to people is, um, you know, it's that, it's that thing that I quoted at the beginning, right? Like, you are so much less important than you think you are. And also like you are so much less important than you think you are. It's convicting and it's freeing. Those are my words. That's my brand. And I just love how from the other side of the mirror, it's like you are also so much more important than you think you are. No, no, no. That doesn't apply to me. I'm actually very important. I'm, I'm irreplaceable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite um, little bits that um, one of my, do you ever have, you have a parasocial mentor, like a person that has mm-hmm. really formed you, but also you've never spoken to? Hi, Krista Tippett. I'm just kidding. I'm getting vibes. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Maybe, maybe. Um, I'm a a bit of a disciple of Paul Walker, who's the um, the rector of Christ Church in Charlottesville, um, who I overheard at one point um, when someone asked him how his week was going, said, you know, I'm actually just working really hard to make everything about me. And I just love that church is a place where we can acknowledge that that's a part of ourselves and also invite a community around us to help us resist it. (laughs) (laughs) So I can tell other people, you're not the main character while fully believing in my heart that I am. Well, it's that thing of like, you're not, Father Will, you're not the main character. But also you get to be the main character so long as everybody else is also the main character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is a story with but, 7 billion protagonists. Oh, that's really how God looks at us. Do you know what I mean? Either like God is the protagonist and none of us is, or we are all pr- protagonists together. Yeah. I just also picturing myself with like a big whiteboard and I write on the whiteboard and I have like a room full of people with me. You should do this at your next small group leaders meeting mm-hmm. because you are the most important person that exists. And then the next line says, you are so not important. And you're <laughs> up there like, how are both of these true? Yeah. This is our question, not for today, for the rest of our lives. Oh, a sequel podcast. Oh, my God. Um, Well, with that, this has been so lovely. Thank you so much for the time. Such a joy. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to rest into some big questions. (sighs) Branding. Yeah, brah.